It's good. We got a lot of interaction here. You're awake. You're alive. I love it. Uh, kids, we've got a service designed just for you. You can head on to the back. I should have done it like 10 minutes ago so you can have 10 more minutes of fun. Uh, but yeah, just a time of worship, a time of learning, Bible study, awesome games. You can meet your teachers in the back corner. And parents, uh, if this is your first time here, make sure your kid has a name tag, and that way we know they're signed in and where they go, and we'll keep them safe. Otherwise, you guys get me. It's going to be a good morning. Because what we're doing for the next few weeks here is the new year is 2023, which feels bizarre because I'm getting now to that point in my life where a lot of the old sci-fi movies that I watched growing up, and like I'm young too, I acknowledge that, uh, were set in like 2022 and 2024. We were just watching this, uh, this this TV show yesterday, and it was like way off in the future, tech, and it was 2024. And I was like, that's next year. We've got a ways to go still based on, like, my phone still crashes every time I try to do two things at once. And this is like they're heading to space and time travel. Yeah, so we got a ways to go. We're in the future. So what's the church look like in 2023? What, and here's the thing. What's really cool about this when I'm doing the study, right? 2023 feels like it's the future, but I get to study this old book that's actually like, no, no, this is what the church has been for 2,000 years, for 10,000 years, for everything. When God has interacted with his people, this is what church is. And that's what we're talking about for this, for this month because here's, here's the big thing that's kind of been going through in my mind as I've been praying, as I've met with people in our community, as I've, as I've just been dialoguing, is this huge need for our city, for Mission BC, to see Jesus, to actually experience Jesus. And we come up with so many ways to do that, right? And sometimes they're, they're misguided, right? Sometimes we just make a few posts online. Sometimes we complain in comment sections when we disagree with stuff. Sometimes we do huge events at churches, right, which is neat. But then sometimes we also say, come to church, and we kind of communicate this thing wrong because we get this sense that like, there's this building, there's this place, there's this thing you do, there's this, you dress up and you act a certain way. And then we kind of miss the huge, beautiful thing about what church is actually meant to be. And, and what church is meant to be is actually what will help this city see Jesus. And so last week, if, if you remember, we did a little bit of language study. Did anybody learn? We learned two Greek words, right? So now I know three Greek words. Maybe you know more than me. The first one is when we read the Bible and we read the word church, we're actually reading this word ecclesia. Remember that one? It's okay, and if you're here for the first time this week, that's awesome. So when we read the word church in the Bible, and we get 114 times in the New Testament, it's this word ecclesia. It's, it's literally like when Jesus is talking to one of his disciples, Peter, and he says, I tell you, you are Peter on this rock, I will build my ecclesia, I will build my church, is what we read, and the gates of hell will never overcome it, Matthew 16, 18. Or even in other books in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the books in the New Testament, he talks about the church, the ecclesia, and he even compares it to this like relationship dynamic with, with Jesus. So he even says in Ephesians 5, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the ecclesia. And so just to recap a bit from last week, the ecclesia, what's, what does this mean? Literally means the gathering the bringing together, the group, the, the, the actual term specifically was when there was like a Greek gathering or meeting of people called for a, a something to do, like a, a little block meeting, right? Like the homeowners association kind of thing. Nobody wants to go to that, but it was this meeting, literally just a gathering of people. 
something real and touchable that involves multiple humans in it. And so, you know, I'm sorry to say for a lot of us, we sometimes get these ideas that, you know, I kind of just, I don't like church, the stuff they do. And and that's fair, sorry. Sometimes we get it wrong and we, we focus on the wrong things. But you can't substitute it with just like, I do church by myself. I go out into the woods and the wilderness and that's church for me. And that's a beautiful practice. It's actually a very needed spiritual discipline in our lives, but there's no evidence in the Bible that that can be church. That's not what Jesus says I'm going to build up. That's not what Paul says is the bride of Christ. You can't do it by yourself. And then, and then so that's, that's what church literally means, but according to Jesus' design and what, what this is supposed to be, there's this other word that comes up often because, you know, honestly, like, you can gather in places with lots of other humans and, and do a thing, and that's a gathering, but what's the main goal? What actually identifies this thing uniquely? There's this other word. Is it, was anybody doing their homework last week? Remember the other word? So we got ecclesia. Oh, awesome. Look at that. Well, at least this half got it. Koinonia. It's another Greek word. It's good. Literally means fellowship, intimacy, close. It can actually literally be translated as intercourse, right? But not like that, just like, like a really close union and connection. And, and this is where we get it, like what most scholars cite as the passage of the birth of the early church in the New Testament it comes out of Acts chapter 2, a book that just accounts what the disciples did to spread the word of Jesus And Acts chapter 2, 42 just says, they, talking about the believers, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the disciples' teaching, and to koinonia, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. That was the church. said, when you gather, this is what it's going to be. It's going to be koinonia, it's going to be learning, it's going to be eating food together, it's going to be praying. And so that's the beautiful miracle of church. It isn't a building or the stuff we do or the things we have. It's the close gathering and the fellowship we all share in the name of Jesus, our King. Amen? We're on it this morning. This is great. And so this is my goal, what I want to get us equipped for and ready, and especially as we're going to be candidating another pastor to join our team here, is that it, and and I appreciate so much your words, Justin and Michelle, too. This is a very important piece of the puzzle. But you know what the important piece of the puzzle is? Not one person. It's not me either. It's not, not me. It's not going to be potentially Michael. It's not who's up here, whatever. It's this entire thing we're doing is the most important piece of the puzzle. It's the, it's the effort and the intention, the investment we put into it. Because if we want to be a church that helps our city mission see Jesus, it's not going to be because of just you, just you, just me. We can't do that. I can't do that, right? And I hope you don't think you can represent Jesus on your own. Even God himself exists in this trinity, this relationship, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, because it's bigger than just especially a human. But then Jesus creates this thing, the ecclesia, this gathering, the church, that has the capacity. Now, honestly, we, we do get it wrong often. We do make a mess of this, and that's why we come back to this regularly, and we try to recreate it and revive it. And and you know, so I'm hoping this is exciting to you. I'm hoping that this inspires you to want something more, right? Does this, does this resonate at all with anybody? You want something more out of this thing? 
Maybe you're even here and you're, you're kind of trying church out again because for a while you've been, church has been boring or it has, it has been annoying to you or honestly maybe, and I know this happens to a lot of us too, maybe you've been burned by the church. It was just a list of rules, you didn't fit in and they made sure you knew you didn't fit in. And it sucks because that's not the church. But I can tell you the one thing overwhelmingly that we need as humans, not just as followers of Jesus here, but as humans literally across the street in uh, the, the cul-de-sac across from the park here and the school across the street here, we need fellowship, we need community. We're hardwired for it. It literally impacts us physically. It impacts our health. It impacts our mental state. It impacts our faith. And we can be that, and I think that's why Jesus designed this church, because that's the way to actually communicate the gospel and the messages through a thriving and lively community. So that's what we're going to be doing. Does that resonate? Is anyone excited for this? Ask for another one, amen? Let's build this. So last week we talked more about the ecclesia, the gathering, the, the kind of the things involved in making this collecting of coming together to worship work. And that there's so many roles we can have in that. And we had some sign-up sheets at the back. And I'm just going to throw a plug. Those sign-up sheets are still there at the back. But thank you so much for so many of you who did step up to just help fill the roles to impact our different ministries, whether it's kids or the AV or the tech stuff or music. So many amazing things. And we're going to keep kind of recruiting to build that because there's a role for you in this that's a hands-on role. Today, we're going to focus a little bit more on the fellowship part, the koinonia, the depth of this community and how to practice that. And we're gonna look at a passage in the New Testament this morning that I think it's beautiful. It sums up that kind of fellowship, that kind of community we need in our lives desperately. And we're gonna find that in 1 Thessalonians 5 and uh, starting at verse 11. So if you've got your Bibles here, if you've got your phone, open it up. We do have it on the screen this morning too. This is a power passage a power passage. I remember the first time coming across this a while back and I joked about it. I was like, it's got like the answers to life in here. Literally all the answers and, and you'll see why. It's amazing. But First Thessalonians. So I'll just give you a moment. First Thessalonians 5, starting in verse 11. And, and what this is, so Thessalonians... Uh, the majority of the New Testament is made up of books that are actually letters. They were letters written to churches in the ancient Mediterranean area uh, shortly after they were founded, planted, and a lot of them were written by a man named the Apostle Paul. He traveled all over. He spoke the, the good news, the gospel message of Jesus. He would plant churches in different areas, and then a few years later, he would hear about updates, how they're doing, what's going on, and he'd write letters to them to give them some instructions, some challenges, encouragement, just some guidance of how to be a thriving community, how to be a church. And, and this one specifically, Thessalonians, is written to the churches in area Thessalonica, Thessalonica, we'll do my best, don't judge me on that, Thessalonica. And, and these churches, to give you some context, were, they were quite young, new churches, because the whole area was very powerfully run by different religions, like this cultural pagan religion of, of Greek mysticism. And there was not much room for Judaism, which a lot of the early Christian church practice was based off of, and there was no room for anything new. This message of Jesus, there's very little room for it. So these believers were gathering together, persecuted, hated, attacked, 
And they didn't have any really guidance of like, what do we even do? So Paul writes and he says, I got you. I'm going to write this letter as encouragement. And it's just to put it very simple. These are the basic practices to have a thriving community, to have a thriving church, to have fellowship, and to show Jesus to everyone around you. So 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 11, therefore encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. Now we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord, and who admonish you. Hold them in the highest regard in love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everybody. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong, but always strives to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. That's beautiful. I couldn't word it better. I, I, I almost don't want to say anything. I thought of just repeating this five more times this morning. Maybe for the sake of time, I should. I want to pull it apart a little bit because it's massive. When I, I was even joking with my wife, I said, I think I've only got 15 minutes of content. And then I started diving into this and I said, no, I've got 55 minutes of content now because it's so good. But I just want to go through this because we need to let this wash over us and impact us and literally change what we're doing here and now as a church. Let's go back to verse 11, 511. So therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, I couldn't think of any more single, powerful characteristic that can have an impact in people's lives, that can change everything about the people you interact with than being encouraging. Honestly, it doesn't matter if you have a lifelong relationship, if there's anything pre-established, or if it's like the cashier at Save-On. If you're an encouraging person, you touch every single person you interact with. And, and it, it has huge effects on the recipient and the giver of encouragement. And I imagine, like, if every single person here, all hundred or whatever of us, were defined by people around us as encouragers, that would be a force to be reckoned with in amazing ways. And not out of fear, but out of... Out of and I got to talk about my wife here. I'm just going to brag a little bit, because she is an amazing person. I love her. One of the best people I know for a lot of reasons, but largely because she is an encourager. It's amazing. She builds me up regularly. She's encouraging. She builds her friends and her family up. She builds people up who she just has first-time interactions with. And, and the thing about this is, it, like, if you just need a dose of feeling good, spend some time with her. It works. It's huge. And this shows Jesus boldly to people because you know what? It sounds good. This isn't normal. She had this interaction with somebody one time, just had like a first-time interaction with another young mom, connected through a community group. And she's like, you know, I'm going to text and follow up. I'm going to say, you're doing a good job. How can, I, how can we connect? Radio silence for like two weeks. Because this person was like, nobody tells me that. Nobody reaches out with encouragement just to say, you're doing a good job. This is massive, being encouraging. That's why it's the first thing Paul says. You want to be a church community? Be encouraging constantly for, for everything. And this takes intentionality and effort, right? Like, 
you got to open your mouth, you got to put some words together in a string. I know I sound sarcastic. I'm not even being sarcastic. This literally takes effort because I think our default is to just make sure we're doing okay and stuff is happening fair enough around us. But encouragement takes a few steps of intentionality of seeing people and saying, I need to build them up. And the, the bizarre thing and what I think is miraculous about this is it costs you nothing to be encouraging. In the church specifically, I gotta say, one of the things that gives me so much energy and confidence is what inspires me to carry on these tasks that honestly, I, way beyond what I think my capacity is, is encouragement, is the words that you give me, the prayers that you give me, and, and that you let me know and, you, and, and physically, and it makes such a difference. And it's a huge impact, I know, on all of our ministry leaders, on the people who serve in different times and places, and, and I got to say this, what could really be an impactful practice here in the church is being intentional and almost scheduling in encouragement into the way we do our, our days and our weeks here. And as a church, so I, I imagine this, it could look like something like this. Every single Sunday, there's a group of people who come out here at 8 a.m. to set up all the tech stuff, to practice, to rehearse. Some of them come from Agassiz, so they wake up at 6.30, flip on the coffee machines, uh, get stuff ready for us, just for a great morning of gathering. And I know that that's, that's a task, right? I'm not asking people to sign up to that, but if you're up, maybe you live close by across the parking lot, come on out here and hang out. Encourage these people. Just literally be present. Say, thank you for the job you're doing. And that would be wild. That would change everything. That would change like my month. It'd be so good. I know for the, the leaders too, the ministry leaders, that would be huge. Our maintenance crew here every single Thursday, same deal. You might not have it in you to put, pick up a shovel or a rake anymore. Come on out Thursday mornings, encourage them. Be present. The last Wednesday of each month, uh, we get the kids and the youth together, and we have a few brave leaders who survive a night of dodgeball and nerf and noise like you can't believe. And, and that might be like no chance, right? But come on out if you're available for that evening. You can even stay hidden far away in the prayer room, but just encourage the leaders and pray over them. I could keep going. There's so much power in this statement, and I want to almost like do the whole message on this. But encouragement is huge. Specifically, here's the thing. There's a lot of people in our congregation here. Um, to, to be polite, it's, it's those of you who are kind of past that full-time professional career mark in your life, right? You're also part of that generation that loves talking on the phone. That I barely know how to do it. I don't like talking on the phone, but I know there's lots of us here who do that. And you're at home... And maybe think of somebody each day of the week. And in the office, I'd be happy to connect you with some contact information. Beep, 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 beep. Call up some people. Encourage them. It would be huge. So impactful. I, I know, and myself too, and if you've got the, the time to even do like a coffee or whatever, th there's this kind of generational disparity that we just struggle with. And it's almost like a default because the language is young people are too busy for old people and just, there's nothing to cross over. In my experience, I know if, if somebody here was to just call up and say, hey, Grant, I would love to take you out for coffee sometime next week. You know, let's just chat. I just want to share with you, encourage you, whatever, share some experience, whatever's going on. I would, in a heartbeat, I'd cancel other stuff. And I know that's true for a lot of my friends in my age as well. And honestly, I know it's too, like, you know, where's our initiative on that too? But 
the challenge I'd put back is saying, with those years of experience and wisdom, be the one to take the first step. You have a lot to offer here. And I'm part of a generation that needs a lot of guidance. Encouragement. And it goes on even to, after verse 11, uh, we ask you, brothers and sisters, to acknowledge those who work hard among you, who care for you in the Lord. Going on from that, and those who admonish you. Not really a word we use too often. Hold them in the highest regard and love because of their work. Live in peace with each other. We urge you, brothers and sisters, to warn those who are idle and disruptive. It's easy to talk about encouragement because it's pretty positive. But Paul doesn't miss a beat when he says, but we also have to be real with each other and honest. And that's the next piece. We actually have to challenge each other. We actually have to talk about the stuff that's not going well, the stuff that does need some real dialogue. And look how he even says that too. Those who admonish you, those who challenge you, those who speak up about the hard things, hold them in the highest regard and love. Do all of this in love and live at peace with each other. So this is not saying we need to be combative. This is saying we need to have real conversations. Honestly, this is a very foreign practice, right? It, we might not be a, cur- a culture that's very encouraging, but we're also not a culture that does this very well too. And this isn't like throwing criticisms out or bad reviews out on Google. This isn't complaining. This is actually like, like ask yourself this, how many people do you have in your life that you can talk about the challenges in your marriage with? How many people, can you count it even beyond one hand, or even do you have any fingers that go up? How many people do you have in your life that you can confide in about your struggles with the stuff that you check out online, the struggles of the substances that you go to to deal with depression and pain and hurt? Or is that just in your heart? Is that just something you're carrying alone? There's this skewed stat, and this is very sad, that says an overwhelming amount of married couples that stay in church, stay together. But here's the problem, it actually misses a piece, that the majority of marriages for couples that attend church and they start hitting rocky paths don't have people to talk about it with, and they slowly drift away, and by the time they're not really part of the regular gathering anymore, they split up or stuff falls apart or whatever, makes the church stats look really good. Doesn't mean that they weren't struggling here and there was nobody to talk with about that. There's nobody talking to them and nobody that they felt comfortable speaking with because we're not very good about being real with each other. And obviously, this isn't going to be the big, large public gathering kind of thing. We're not going to be going around calling out whatever. This happens more intimately and closely. This happens in something like a small group, a community group. This happens in the small groups of the Bible study groups like we have on Tuesday mornings uh, with the ladies who gather every single week and they learn and they pray together. This happens with stuff like whether it's the worship team or the tech teams even when they get together, the maintenance crews that they meet regularly because it takes investment, it takes repetition, it takes time. Right now we have two small groups, that uh, two community groups that are meeting And I know for everyone who's involved in those, it's the most life-giving experience that those those people say they have each single week. And I think it's one of those things that we should have 10 groups here at this church. We should have places where we can connect with regularly. And and this is what it's going to take, honestly. The first response is we don't have time for that. I don't have time for that. 
but I do know in my schedule and, and that statement, I've got time for everything I need. I have 24 hours a day just like every single other person here, and I'm filling it with some stuff that does suck, and I need to take that intentional step to get rid of it, throw it out the door, just cut it out, give myself two hours a week, and you need to give yourself some space a week to actually build in to a real relationship where you can be real with somebody here in this church because that is what's necessary to experience koinonia, fellowship. That's what's necessary to start showing people what Jesus really looks like. Okay, we're going to go on here. The next part too. So it goes on, verse 14. Encourage the disheartened, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Make sure that nobody pays back wrong for wrong and do what is good for each other. Simply, here's just a list of amazing practices and I encourage you to just read over this whole passage again and again. But hands-on intentional effort is what came to me reading this stuff here. Contrary to what Coldplay might tell you, you can't just think positive and that's enough. It actually takes doing stuff. It actually takes time and effort, opening your mouth, moving your hands a little bit. It takes effort. Like these are stuff, right? Help the weak. Be patient seems like it's just a state of mind, but actually being patient means like turning around and counting to 10 a lot. <laughs> being patient takes a lot of effort and time. Make sure nobody pays back wrong for wrong. Don't have in the sense of just everything needs to be totally fair. Bring grace heavily into your life and just do what is good. I, thanks, Paul. Way to explain it enough. Just do what's good, right? That's all you gotta do. But specifically here, look at this. For each other and everyone else. This isn't meant to just be a little cult. This is somewhere where we experience this and we pour it out. Okay, and the last part, because before you fall asleep, I wanna get to this. Got the answers to life here. Okay, I remember my older sister actually brought this verse into my life the first time when I was really young, like 10 or 11. And she's like, oh, I, here's the answer to life. It's easy. It's uh, 1 Thessalonians 5.16. Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. We ask questions all the time of like, what's God's will for me? Should I take this job or here? Should I be an engineer or a doctor? Who, what's God's will for me? Should I marry this person or not? Or at all? And, and instead here, Paul gives us the answer. This is God's will for you. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances. It's simple. Not easy. Not easy. But it's simple. And a huge piece in this is prayer. Prayer is powerful. Prayer is a practice that needs to be steeped in our lives, not as a ritual, not as something that you do at a certain time with a certain thing, but prayer just needs, like, what does it say? Pray sometimes. Pray when it's appropriate. Pray with, actually, other translations say this, without ceasing. Pray continually. Pray all the time. I, I, a good friend and mentor of mine, I love it. We'll just be chatting and he'll start talking to God in the middle of a conversation. I'm like, well, what were we just doing? He's like, oh, I'm just talking with God. Praying and then just, he just gives it up to God at all times. Pray without ceasing and give thanks in all circumstances, even the bummer times. Even the times that aren't going very well, there's stuff to be thankful for. Right? It's been a rough year for the church, but it's been an incredible year for the church too. Because we give thanks and we lift it up to God constantly. 
What I want to do here as a church is experience this this morning. I want to invite you into an activity about prayer because we do pray, and I do trust that many of you here are prayer warriors, but I also want to amplify that a bit more to make it natural, not just something that goes through the systematic. We do have a prayer chain here at the church. It is a way we can get the word out. You can email it in. You can phone it into the church. You can hop onto our website, and then we send it out. There's people who've signed up. But I don't think it's well utilized. I think we miss a lot of what's going on in our lives. And, and I want us to be praying without ceasing, right? Like, we should look like crazy people talking to God, praying constantly, bringing that into our lives. And, and the reason we do that is actually is, is the verse before this whole section. Paul kind of gives us the, the, the core of the gospel. What's the reason we do all this? Because we want to be nice people? It's not it. Because it looks good? Mm-mm. It looks weird, actually, this kind of stuff. Talking about Jesus, he says, Jesus died for us so that whether we are awake or asleep, we may live with him. This is a reuniting with the creator. This is, this is our motivation. So this is the activity we're going to do, and I'm going to give us a few minutes for it. At the end of each of your rows, there's a little tin with some paper cards, with some pens. Uh, it might not be sorted out quite well. You can share around a little bit. Um, I, wanna, I want every single person here, if you're willing, write something down. Something that we can pray for together as a church. Something that we can lift up and celebrate. Something that we can pray over. Something that's going hard where you need God to enter in and intervene. Every single person here, and if you're online too, you can email it into the prayer chain. What I want to do over this next week, keep these anonymous if you like. If you want to throw your information there too, that's fine, but keep it anonymous if you'd like. We're going to put them all together this whole week. We're going to be sending it out. We're going to pray for each other as a church. We're going to celebrate together as a church. We're going to give all this stuff up to God as a church. So I'm going to give you two minutes here and just write some stuff down. I'm going to come back up, close the service off in prayer. Hang on to these cards and at the end of e- at the exit of each door here, there's a, there's a tub or a little brown box. You can just, just dump it in there. That's perfect. That's great. There should be enough for everybody. That's the activity here. We are going to be a praying church. So just write anything down that we can lift up to God here and be a praying community. If you're still writing stuff down, keep doing that. Before you leave, if you have more to add, that's fantastic. This is just going to be a great way to be just praying together as a church. And uh, before you go to, yeah, just an encouragement if, to drop those off in those little brown boxes. Uh, also check out the sign-up sheets on the back just by the sound booth if you need the whole week to kind of get that encouragement, that confidence to step into a team. Uh, But otherwise, thanks for joining us. I want to send you off with another verse that comes just a little bit later on in this same passage in Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, verse chapter 23, 523. I'm going to send you with this. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. 
all the way. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. Amen? Have a great week.